0: A woman kidnapped off the street, a police officer responding to shots fired, and a terrifying lunch break in the park. Headphones recommended, listener discretion advised. Good evening and welcome back everyone, I'm your host Chad. In this episode, you're getting three true tales of terror straight from Reddit that will leave you breathless. So brace yourself, this is Disturbed. We're now into the final month of 2020. And what a year it's been. Talk about true horror. A year that no one will be forgetting anytime soon. But what better podcast to guide you through the remainder of this year of horror than the one you're listening to right now? We say it here often always be vigilant and aware of your surroundings. For Reddit user Help Creepy Landlady, it just may have saved her life. Performing this experience is a brand new member to the show. Introducing Brooke Santoro.
1: Hey, disturbed listeners, this is Brooke Santoro, host of the podcast You Talk To, available now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's the first podcast that you talk to that gives your mind time to wander, create, and think. Come hang out with me in this playground for your imagination and find the podcast you talk to on Twitter at at the pod you talk to. Just to give some context, I'm currently in the UK and the town where I live is known for its drug scene, but it doesn't have a violent crime problem to speak of. I think that's why I found what happened so shocking, because I lived in London before and while some messed up stuff did happen to me there, it was nowhere near on the level of what happened to me earlier this year. My partner and I live together in our flat, which is in a relatively busy residential area. I work from home, however, and he's out of the flat quite a lot, so I guess it might look to an outside observer like I live alone. Our flat complex was once an old factory, and we have these huge industrial windows, so people walking on the street have a pretty clear view of our dining room, which is where I work during the day. It all started in July of this year. I'm ashamed to say that I can be a major rubbernecker and a lot of drama occurs on the road outside of our flat, so I look out the windows often during my workday for some light entertainment. The best was a two-hour breakup I got to watch unfold in the car just below our window, but that's beside the point. One day, I got up to make myself a cup of tea, looked out of the kitchen window and saw this guy just staring at me. I was struck by how intense it was and how he didn't look away, even when it was obvious that I was looking back at him. I felt creeped out by it, but I tried not to let it bother me. We have a lot of drug addicts and other weird characters that hang out around here, so it didn't seem like such a big deal. I went back to work, and by the time I had sat down at the table, he was gone. About a week later, my partner had gone to visit his dad for the weekend, so I was excited to hunker down and catch up on some of my favorite shows alone. After about 30 minutes, the buzzer to the flat went off. The buzzer is so loud, and it scared the heck out of me. I was lucky my popcorn didn't go flying out of my hands. Now, our flat complex has this big porch where teenagers and addicts love to hang out because it provides shelter from the rain and about four people can sit down inside of it. Sometimes people lean up on the buzzers by accident when they're hanging out in the porch, so I assumed that was what happened. After a few seconds, however, the buzzer went again and again and again. Someone was pressing it in this rhythmic pattern. It's something I know my partner does when he's forgotten his keys and it's kind of our code for me to let him in, which is why I found it so disconcerting. At first, I was worried he might have missed the bus to his dad's house and had decided to come back to the flat. I was nearly about to buzz him straight in when I thought it would be a good idea to pick up the phone first and check who it was. As soon as I picked up the phone, the person standing near the intercom must have heard because they said, Hello? It was definitely not my partner I asked who it was and why they were buzzing the flat so late at night but all they said was can you let me in I asked them why they wanted to come in and they said you invited me remember while they were talking they kept kind of laughing under their breath and the whole exchange put me on edge I told them I had no idea who they were and just hung up I was half expecting them to start pressing the buzzer again but they didn't After a few minutes, I crept out of the flat to have a look at who was in the porch, but they were long gone. My partner has to get up early for work, whereas I'm more of a night owl. Most nights, I'm up until around 2am or 3am working on my laptop while he's asleep. A few nights after the intercom incident, I was on my laptop watching YouTube videos and I realized that we'd forgotten to take the trash out. This happens a lot, and it's not uncommon for me to take the trash out at around 1am or 2am. At least it wasn't until all this happened. I put my slippers on, grabbed the bag of trash, and took it out to the curb outside the flat's main entrance. When I looked across the street, there was this guy standing on the opposite street corner. He was watching me, and his eyes followed me all the way from the front door to the curb. I noticed he was smoking, so I assumed he lived in one of the houses across the street. I remember even thinking, wouldn't it be creepy if he tried to come over here? As I put the trash bag down, I caught a glimpse of movement out of the corner of my eye, I looked up and saw him walking in a straight line across the road towards me, with his eyes fixed on me the entire time. I don't know how to describe it, but the look on his face filled me with this instinctive sense of dread. It felt like someone had just turned my stomach inside out. I pulled my keys out of my hoodie pocket, turned around, and ran to the front door. I've never felt that kind of fear before, and it was like my body was compelling me to get as far away from this man as possible. I got into the building, slammed the door behind me, and rushed to my flat without looking back. I didn't want to know whether he'd followed me or not. I told my partner about the whole thing the next day and how shook up I was. We agreed that we'd be more proactive with the trash and I'd never take it out late at night again. Fast forward to the beginning of August, about two weeks after the trash incident, and I'd pretty much forgotten about all of it. I was still too scared to go out late at night on the road, but nothing weird had happened since then. I went to bed at about 2am, but I felt restless for some reason and struggled to get to sleep. By around 3 a.m., I was contemplating whether or not to give up and to go do something else. When I heard this scream, the sound cut right through me. There was something visceral about the terror in that scream. I knew it was bad because my partner went from stone cold asleep to being up in a shot. He asked me what it was, and I said I didn't know. I went to the window straight away and looked out. Down one side of the roads near our flat, I could see headlights, but couldn't get a clear view of the car. The screaming continued in bursts, and after a while, I could make out words. It was a woman, and she was saying, Get out! Get out! Over and over again. I'm used to hearing all kinds of domestic arguments take place on the road outside of our flat, particularly since we're near to the university and several popular bars, but this was different. There was this raw fear in her voice that made the hairs on my arms stand up. I turned to my partner, and said I had to call the police. When they picked up, I explained what was happening. They seemed disinterested at first, but the operator's tone changed when I told them where it was. I think they must have been getting calls from all around the area about it. It was sometime during this phone call that I heard a screech of tires and the screaming stopped. The operator asked me to go to the window and describe to them what was happening. When I looked down, there was this black car sat on the road One of my neighbors from across the road was speaking to the two guys in the car. I had to twist to get a good look at them, but one of the guys in the car looked uncannily like the guy who had been watching me when I was putting out the trash that time. At first, the conversation seemed congenial, but it took a turn when the neighbor asked them some sort of question that I couldn't hear clearly, and they sped off down the road. Within no less than ten minutes, three police cars arrived and had blocked off the roads leading to our flat. Our residential area is on a grid system, they were knocking on doors and asking to speak to all of our neighbors. I told my partner that we should go out and speak to them since we saw a lot of what happened, and my partner had had the foresight to write down the license plate of the black car. When we went out, there were these two girls talking to one of the police officers. They were both shaking, and one of them looked as though she'd been crying. I decided to stand nearby and wait for the girls to finish before speaking with the officer myself. What they said made my blood run cold. They were from one of the houses that looked out directly onto the road where I had seen the headlights, so they had a clear view of what had happened. Like us, they had been alerted by the screaming and had gone straight to the window. From what they could gather, the black car had cut off a small red car on the road, like pulled right in front of it, and that's what had caused the girl driving the red car to scream the first time. They thought it might have been some kind of misunderstanding, but then they watched as one of the guys from the black car got out walked to the red car, and jumped in through the window. That's the point when the girl must have been screaming, get out, get out. There had been a struggle, and the girls watching said they assumed the guy was just trying to steal the car, but then he forced the driver into the back seat, and that's when he drove off. The two girls were both hysterical by this point, and you could tell they felt guilty for not intervening. I could feel that same guilt seeping into my thoughts as well. After the guy had driven off in the red car... The two men in the black car had gone the opposite way and turned the corner onto our road, but had been stopped by another neighbor. Although this neighbor had been alerted by the screaming, he hadn't actually witnessed what happened. So he had stopped the black car to ask the guys what was going on without knowing they were involved. That was the exchange we saw. When the guys started acting suspicious, he asked them if they would wait for the police to arrive. And that's the point when they drove off. It wasn't until we got back to the flat that I started to put two and two together. I have a small red car, just like the one that the girls had described, and I normally come back at night on that day of the week, since it's the day I go to visit my parents. I had only come back early on this particular occasion because I needed to let a plumber in to do some work on the flat. What if they had been waiting for me, and they had gotten the wrong car? Over the next few days, I contacted the police several times and checked the local news, but I never heard anything about the girl who was kidnapped. I still have no idea what happened to her. All I know is that they found her car, abandoned somewhere not far from where she was taken. But she wasn't in it. It still gives me chills just thinking about it.
0: How about a quick shout-out to our newest Patreon member, Corey Giles. Thanks for supporting the show. He's now enjoying an ad-free listening experience, early access, and our bonus series of disturbing calls. Five bonus episodes are available to binge right now. If you're curious what else is included for Patreon members or you want those bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash disturbed podcast to start receiving your benefits today. Again, that's patreon.com slash disturbed podcast, or find the link at the bottom of the show notes. Police officers get called to all different kinds of scenes. They never truly know what they're walking into. An officer by the Reddit handle Revenant1015 got a call to a scene he will likely never forget. Performing this experience is another newcomer to the show, but he's certainly not new to the horror genre. Ladies and gentlemen, the showrunner of the No Sleep Podcast, David Cummings.
2: I'm a police officer in the southern US in a suburban department of about a hundred sworn officers I work in a college town I've been on about 10 years now made sergeant four years ago but at the time of this story I was just two years on working night shift patrol I've been lucky that not a lot has affected me mentally anyway during my career. I don't have kids. That's how it gets to you, usually. You can build up all the mental walls you want, but when you have an emotional connection with your kids and see something happen to kids, the walls mean nothing. Anyway, this one stuck with me. Still makes my hair stand on end. Especially when it rains. It was September, just after midnight. I get put on a call of shots fired. Now, normally these calls turn out to be either fireworks or perhaps a car backfiring, but mostly fireworks. So unless we get multiple calls on it, or a confirmed gunman, or someone confirmed wounded, we just send one unit. That night, it was me. The shots fired was reported around a college football stadium This was during football season, so there were a bunch of really big white tents set up all around the parking lot for tailgaters. I notified dispatch that I was on scene and started rolling through the parking lots, casting my spotlight here and there. It was raining pretty heavily and hard to see. About halfway through the lots, my spotlight illuminated the silhouette of a man sitting in a folding chair under one of those big tents. I pulled closer and lit him up, and notified dispatch that I was out with one in the parking lot. His back was to me. He appeared to be hunched forward, as if his elbows were on his knees and his head leaning forward. I walked towards him and started calling out to him. Can't remember exactly what I said, but something like, Hey man, you okay? You heard anything strange? Hey, can you come talk to me? He didn't move or answer. As I drew closer, I lit him up with my flashlight. I then noticed the outline of a shotgun on the pavement next to him. Combined with him not answering and the nature of the call, it was enough for me to break leather and have dispatch hold the channel. I kept calling to him as I approached, asking him to show me his hands, etc. 30 feet. 20 feet. 10 feet. My handgun, Glock Model 22, has a Streamlight TLR 1 light on it, so I had him lit up. 6 feet, under the tent with him. 5 feet, 4 feet. I close on him, come around to the front of him. Shotgun suicides are difficult. Often, if they put the barrel under their chin, the blast from the barrel will blow the gun out from under their chin before the shot ever hits them. There was a guy in my hometown that succeeded in a shotgun suicide only because he did it in front of a pond, put the barrel under his chin, pulled the trigger, only managed to blow his face off. Coroner said he probably ran around screaming through the hole that used to be his mouth. Before he drowned in the pond, this guy succeeded. Blew his head clean off. You do this job long enough, you notice funny little details. His elbows were indeed resting on his knees. It was as though he blew his head off, set the shotgun on the ground next to him and then leaned forward and rested his elbows on his knees to think about what he'd done. About that time, I noticed that even though I was under the tent with him, it felt like it was still raining. And then I looked up.
0: And once again, here we are at the back end of this week's episode, but there's no reason to despair. Take a listen to these quick offers and discounts, and then I'll bring you our final tale of the evening. This episode of Disturbed was made possible by Yubico. Yubico sets new world standards for simple, secure login preventing unauthorized access to computers, servers, and internet accounts. The YubiKey from Yubico is a physical security key using two-factor authentication to protect your accounts. As more of us continue to work from home, it's more important than ever to protect and secure your information. So, what can you do to protect your accounts? Yubico is offering disturbed listeners $10 off your next purchase of $100 or more using code POD at yubico.com. That's code POD, P-O-D, at ubico Y-U-B-I-C-O dot Say hello to the key and goodbye to account takeovers.
1: Come play with us.
2: Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seaton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth. Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South, please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.
3: 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing
1: for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing. She'd invested $300,000 with him. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.
0: And with that, we've reached our final experience. A nice sunny day should make for an enjoyable lunch break in the park. But when two men approached Reddit user Ares Kratos and her friend, the skies would quickly darken. Performing this experience is Nicole Doolin.
3: The story I want to share with you happened one year ago, not long after the beginning of the first semester. I was 20 by then, and I used to hang out near my university a lot at this time of the year, because the weather was still really nice and warm, and my university was adjacent to a park. As we had a three-hour break, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to eat lunch in the park rather than in the cafeteria. I said yes, and we went there. It was a regular school day, probably a Thursday. And the place was filled with kids, students, and people walking their dogs, so not empty at all. It may seem odd to underline this, but I rarely go by myself in a park if there's no one else around, because it makes me feel nervous, kind of vulnerable. I'm an overly anxious person, don't judge me. But this day the place was crowded, and we hardly managed to find a place somewhere on the grass for us to sit. We ate, talked, and enjoyed the sunny weather for a good hour. After an hour, the park was way emptier than when we arrived. Almost all the children had left, and we were quite on our own. As we both wanted to smoke a little before returning to classes, and now that we wouldn't bother anyone with the smoke, we rolled two joints. I know it's not especially a good thing, but it was our little habit when we hung out together. Anyway, the past belongs to the past, right?' I was focused on rolling up when my friend suddenly asked me, Do you see them? I looked in the same direction as her, but I couldn't see what she was talking about. She insisted. Those guys with the bag. They are staring at us. And then I saw them. Fifty meters away from us, two guys, who seemed a little older than us, were standing in the middle of the way, looking intensely at us. I had literally no expression on their face. I'm kind of used to creepy men, whether they are polite or much more intrusive. You know, those who follow you in the streets, those who inexplicably stare at you on the bus for 30 minutes, those who won't leave your side until you give them your number. It can be really easy to get rid of them, but those kinds of encounters are often awkward, embarrassing, or worse. So I felt a little uncomfortable. "'although I wasn't worried. "'As I kept looking at them, "'I understood that they were going to talk to us. "'I asked my friend if she knew them, "'and she answered no, "'adding that she had hoped they would not come over to say hi. "'Unfortunately, three minutes later, "'they were right in front of us, smiling. "'There were two. "'The first to talk introduced himself as Manny. "'He was a small and short-haired guy "'who was obviously on drugs.' but I wouldn't know which ones, to be honest. The other one was a tall, pale, quiet guy. I can't remember his name. Let's call him Steve to make things easier. Manny talked and smiled a lot. He introduced himself and his friend, asked us about our day, praised the warm temperatures. He seemed either unable to shut up or desperately trying to play it cool with us. Before we could even tell them to leave, He invited himself to join us on the grass, assuming that we would be okay with it. As a welcoming gift, he opened his bag. It was a huge plastic bag, one you would take to do some groceries, and showed us a four and a half liter bottle of vodka. I couldn't help but judge them. It was like 1 p.m., in a park, in daylight, so it felt kind of ridiculous to me his friend handed us a tiny and already used paper cup. But we declined the offer, saying that we needed to stay sober because we had classes to attend two hours later. Unfortunately, they had already drunk a fair amount of vodka, and they kept insisting until my friend told them, I'm not the type of person who would drink vodka right after lunch. I either drink it on Friday night with my friends, or pass my turn. Don't ask us again. I should tell you now, my friend is not a scaredy-cat at all. To be honest, she's the bravest person I've ever met, and she's never uncomfortable in front of strangers. Usually when she's bothered by a weird guy, she either acts weirder than him to make him feel more uncomfortable, or laughs it off. Making jokes and acting friendly until she tells him to leave because she'd rather be alone. Or, in the worst cases, she kicks his ass and leaves. So... Even if she didn't want their company, she was still unperturbed and relaxed, way more than I was, and it felt good to have her by my side. They must have felt that she was serious because they stopped insisting, and instead they started to ask us things like, Are you students? Do you have a boyfriend? Can I have your number? And so on. We were both in a relationship and not interested in the two of them, but it didn't stop them from flirting. They kept complimenting us in a heavy, unpleasant, clumsy way, and we began to feel embarrassed. We could clearly tell that alcohol was unleashing them. They were annoyingly enticing, openly flirty, and it escalated quickly from sympathetic remarks on the way we were dressed to nasty sexual advances. As I said, we were not interested, but they didn't take no as an answer. I was so uncomfortable that I avoided eye contact as much as I could while trying to find a way for us to get out of this situation. At this point, two other guys, supposedly their friends, came and sat with us, even though we didn't tell them that they could. They looked dirty, idle and stoned, and one of them had a scrawny dog full of fleas. Not really reassuring, but we kept our thoughts to ourselves. My friend said something like, We should probably go back to college now. But it didn't work the way we planned. They offered to come with us, claiming that it was not the first time that they crashed classes. Just for fun. We replied, No thanks, we don't want to get into trouble. But Manny insisted again. We declined. He kept insisting, saying, Don't worry, it's no big deal. <laughs> And suddenly he pulled a gun out of his pants and brandished it in front of us, with a proud expression on his face. We immediately stopped smiling. First, because we live in France. Carrying guns is neither allowed nor usual. And second, because we felt trapped. The gun looked old but real. Heavy and extremely dangerous in his drunken hands. It was not funny anymore. I was genuinely afraid of what would happen next. One of his friends... Throw one with the dog? Let's call him Nick. Started to panic, got up and said, Are you fucking crazy? Don't you know I got heroin on me? To which Manny replied, Chill out, there's no cops here. <laughs> his friend shook his head and took his bag, ready to get out of here. Then Manny pretended to be aiming at Steve, and he told us, with a big carnivorous smile, that he could totally shoot him without being in trouble. Steve seemed a little nervous. Nick walked away, yelling that he didn't want to be seen with us because it was too risky, and I couldn't disagree. We were in the middle of the day, in an almost empty park, so the scene seemed quite unreal. I just thought, crap, I've never been this close to a gun, and its owner is a drunk man who doesn't want us to go. It looked bad, He turned towards us, exhibited the weapon, and asked for our opinion. Do you like it? I'm not a huge fan of guns, I replied. Are you scared? Maybe. I tried my best to hide the fact that I was scared, because I didn't want him to notice it and to take advantage of me. Even my friend kept a fake smile on her face to keep up appearances. He quickly put it back in his pants and stared at us for a long time with a wary eye. Afterwards, he strangely asked, What did you see? I figured he was talking about the gun, but I couldn't understand why he would ask such a thing with such a suspicious tone. He asked again, so I said, I saw nothing. And he laughed. <laughs> My answer may seem stupid, but I didn't want him to feel proud or to give him this kind of power over us by letting him know that we were afraid of the weapon. I thought it was stupid to carry a gun and to point it at his friend, but he simply kept laughing, and his laugh sounded awful to my ears, like the one of a cold-blooded sociopath. I was so nervous that my hands were shaking. My friend must have noticed it because, all of a sudden, she took my arm and told everyone oh crap we're late we must go have a nice day before running away they shouted can we have your phone number at least and she replied without even looking back no but have a nice day anyway we never walked so fast to get to classes than this day even though we ended up not attending the lecture because our teacher was sick and we didn't know We were still so astounded by what just happened that it took us several hours to process. And after that, we avoided the park for a long period of time. So, to the drunk, creepy guys of the park who had a gun for no reason, let's not meet again. Ever.
0: If you've been enjoying the show, the best thing you can do is share us with a friend. And if you're on an iPhone, head over to your Apple Podcast app and leave us a rating and review. It helps us reach more listeners. This episode of Disturbed was mixed and produced by John Lloyd. And that electrifying, spine-tingling score you heard is courtesy of White Bat Audio, co.ag and Kevin Hartnell. Special thanks to all the contributing narrators and submitters of these stories. You'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.